Now today, what we're going to learn about is how Jesus divides opinions. The very person of Jesus strikes a tone in, in everyone's heart. Regardless of what you believe about Jesus, he's the most controversial person in all of history. I mean, our very calendar is based on the man. So no matter what you believe about Jesus, I think everyone can agree that people are divisive on what they believe about Jesus. So after he spoke those things, look at verse 1 in chapter 7. It says, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. Now this is a great feast. This is where people get together and party. This is one of their feasts that they really looked forward to because they just eat and drink all day long. Awesome. This is great. And what was uh, very particular about this feast is it was representing how God provided for the Israelites while they were in the wilderness, leaving Egypt, going to the promised land. And one of the key features of this feast is how Jesus, as we know, was representing the rock. When Moses struck the rock, we know that Hebrews tells us that Jesus himself was the rock that was stricken and provided water in the wilderness. Well, that's one of the things that they celebrate, the miracle where Moses struck the rock and it provided water. Verse 2, now the, uh, verse 3, rather. His brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one knows... For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. What does he mean by that? Well, remember, Jesus grew up with brothers and sisters. And his own brothers and sisters did not believe in him. Didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Because up until now, up until age 30, Jesus was completely secretive about this. He didn't talk about it. He, was very, he, didn't, he wasn't open about the fact that he was the son of God. Yeah, you should probably told us this sooner. Like, when did you realize that you're the son of God? Well, actually, always. Um, so his brothers are almost kind of mocking. They're saying, well, if you really want to be known, you really want to do this whole Messiah thing and save the world, why don't you go to where the action is? You know, if you're trying to be an actor, you go to New York City, you go to L.A., you go where there's a lot of people so you can be in front of people and be like, hey, and by the way, I am a big deal. And so that's what they're saying to Jesus. Because they didn't even believe in him. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word today, we pray that you help us to, to come to that decision of who you are in our lives. Lord, we know that there's so much in this text and we pray that we're able to wrap our heads around it, Lord, because you are able to do that. But we need your wisdom. We need your spirit to come down even right now, Lord. Draw our attention to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The good news of Jesus is offensive. It strikes a chord in many people. Why is that? Why is the news of Jesus offensive? Because if you ask people, what do you think about Jesus? A lot of people will say, oh, he's a great guy. Love, love Jesus. You know, I really think that he was a great teacher or something like that. But if you think about it, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is offensive because you have to start with the bad news. You can't get to the good news. And by the way, Jesus died for your sins without saying the bad news. The reason why he had to die is because you did something wrong. The reason why Jesus came down to this earth is because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are left to ourselves and we did things our own way. We all went astray. And now picture yourself saying something like this 
to a professor at the university who all their life has studied religion, has studied theology, and said, you know what, I don't, I don't believe Jesus was God. I've done the research, I've read the Bible, I don't think Jesus is God. And then a little five-year-old comes up and says, I believe Jesus is God because the Bible tells me so. You think that, I, I very much doubt the professor is going to be like, you know what, no one's ever said that to me before. And he just changes his mind. Why? Because all his life, he's been going in one direction. He's not about to change it on the account of a five-year-old kid. In the same way, if someone's driving off a cliff, they've been going a long journey to drive off this cliff, we would look at that and say, well, that's really dumb. Why would you take this giant journey? You just, let's say you're taking a road trip, New Jersey to California, to drive off a cliff and die. That is a bad idea. But you go, you know, spend a lot of money on gas, you have all this planning, and the person's really convinced that if they just drive in this direction, they're going to wind up in Japan somehow. Like, yeah, no, I believe I can get to Japan from California. And they're just driving. You ever know someone that's that dumb? They're just like, no, we can get there. Like, Google Maps told me I can just swim across the ocean, and, and they'll make, we'll make it happen. And you're trying to convince this person, no, listen, if you drive off the cliff, you will go into the ocean and you will die. You can tell them all you want, but eventually you're going to have to offend them. Like, well, I don't like the way you said it. I don't like the way you said death and destruction and I'm going to plummet into the ocean. I spat when I said that. I hope the video camera got that. <laughs> At some point, you need to be offensive because what we're talking about is serious. In the same way, the good news of Jesus cannot come apart from the bad news, which is we have all messed up. We're all doing the wrong thing. Why do you think there's pain and suffering in the world? It's not God's fault. It's our fault. Because we all want to do our own thing. Who do you believe that Jesus is? Do you believe that he's just a good person? Are you willing to accept his teaching? What he said about himself? Are you coming to him? Because realize your choice on who you believe Jesus is will determine where your life is headed. Who you believe God is is the most important thing about you. Why is that? Because if God, let's just say God doesn't have to be God of the Bible. Let's just say your God is what you value the most. Your, your whole life will revolve around what you want to do the most, what you want to pursue the most. If money is your God, you will pursue that the most. And everything else will be secondary. And, and that includes relationships. You will betray relationships, friendships you've known for a long time. Because you want to please that God. You want to reach that goal. Now in the same way, if the God of the Bible is your God, the most important thing to you, your entire life will involve sacrifices, commitments, so that you can uh, fully follow Jesus. Now, I'm not asking what, you, what are you choosing ideally. Many of us, if you ask, well, what do you want to choose? You want to choose Jesus? You want to choose hell? Many of us would say, well, obviously I don't want to go to hell. I'd choose Jesus. But I'm not asking what do you ideally choose. I'm asking what are you choosing now? This is a very important question that we all have to ask ourselves. Not what do you ideally choose, but what road are you choosing right now? Now the question arises, how do you know? How do you know what you're choosing? I believe there's three things that we're going to see in this text that reveal our choice. As Just as the brothers of Jesus didn't know what to think about Jesus. Eventually, you got two. You got James and Jude that wrote both books of the same name, James and Jude. 
in the New Testament. Eventually they came to know Jesus and believe in Jesus. But three things reveal your choice. And the first one is time. We're going to see that in the next verse, in verse 6. Time reveals your choice. Verse 6. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. What is he talking about? Well, you know, the brothers are saying, hey, you got to go to Judea because that's where all the action is. If you really want to be Messiah, etc., go down there. And Jesus says, I'm not going down to this feast. My time hasn't come yet. What time is he talking about? He's talking about the time in which he will reign on this earth as king. And one day Jesus will come back to rule and reign, but that was not yet his time. His time right now was to do the will of the Father, whatever that meant and whatever that consisted of. You see, Jesus was not going to be pressured into fitting into the world's time frame. Notice that Jesus was never in a rush. You never see Jesus being like, oh, I need to make sure I'm in Judea. I need to make sure that I'm over here. I need to, oh, Lazarus is, Lazarus is dying. I need to make sure I get there before he dies. Oh, wait, I can resurrect him. Jesus was never in a rush. He was always submitted to God's time frame. The world's time frame is always right now. Why wait? That's the world's time frame. I need everything right now. And maybe since you've lived in this world, you kind of have that mentality. We need everything instantly. You need to download things, and if it's a little bit slow, you're just like, you're done with it. It's not enough to get Netflix and order the CD, and it comes the next day. You need video on demand. I need it now. I can't wait till tomorrow. You ever text your friends, those of you that have iPhones, and they read the text message because you have read receipts, and they don't answer right away? Like, what are you possibly waiting for? You read my text message, where's the response? We just want everything right now. That is the world. Be in a rush. I heard this illustration on the way here by Ben Corson, a pastor in Oregon. He said, there were four demons that were scheming with Satan. They said, how can we get God's people to trip up? They said, well, I know what I'm going to do. The first demon said, I'm going to lie to them and say that God's not real. They said, well, no, they have creation. Satan said. Now that they have creation, they're going to believe that God's real. Another one said, oh, I know what I'm going to do. We're totally going to scheme and we're going to fool them into believing that there is no such thing as good or evil. So, well, no, they all have a conscience. They're not going to believe that either. I forget what the third demon said. Fourth demon. <laughs> Fourth demon says, I know what we're going to do. I'm going to tell God's people. I'm going to lie to them and say that they should hurry. You see, when we're in a hurry, we're always anxious. We're always thinking, oh, if I don't get this done right now, it's never going to happen. You know, I remember wanting like a Batman toy when I was three. I was like, if we don't get it now, someone else is going to buy it. And we have to get it right now, mom and dad. And like, no, we don't. And you know what? I never got the stinking toy and I'm still mad at you. Continuing on. I'm kidding. That one's a shout out to my mom. I am not mad at you. I'm mad at the store. You know, this can translate into giving in to sin. Not just silly things, but giving in to sin. The world says, why do you wait till you're 21 to drink? Why don't you just drink right now? You know, that's just, 
the man-made rule. There's nothing wrong about drinking when you're underage. It's just what society deems as right. I mean, what is the drinking age anyway? Not saying it's okay to drink after you're 21. I'm just saying this is one of the things they'll say. Or they'll say, why would you wait till marriage? Are you crazy? Why would you wait till marriage to have sex? Have sex now. Why wait later when you can have it right now? Or the world might say, you know what? Why would you wait for God's perfect person for you when you could have this person right in front of you? Okay, maybe they're not a Christian, but come on. Like, it's not going to get any better than this, and why should you wait? I mean, okay, maybe it'll end in heartache or whatever, but you'll move on and you'll find someone else. Give in to the temptation in the moment. But what you see is people forget there is value in waiting. There is great value in waiting on the Lord. That's why I say it's important not to hurry away, not to rush away and wish away your high school life. Instead, take advantage of the time you're in high school. Some of you are like, I can't wait till I graduate, I can't wait till I'm out of school and college and whatever. And before you know it, you're going to be like 40 years old. And you've missed all the time that you had in college and in school. Not saying 40 years old is old or anything. Like, Ivan. <laughs> Don't wish away the opportunities you have right now. That is so very important because a lot of you as young people, you think someday when I'm 25 and I'm Alan's age and he's in ministry, you know, then I'll be really used. Then I'll find my real calling. There is no one calling. God is calling you something different every single day. The question is, are you diligent to walk in his ways to be about God's time frame, not your time frame? Not push it till tomorrow. You are the church of today. You hear that? You are the church of today. So act like it. Walk in his ways. We read about the people in the Bible. And don't look at that as, as if it's something in the future. But believe that the Lord is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him today if you're waiting on him there is value in not just exposing your heart not just confessing to every girl that you see in high school and you're just like well i just that's what i thought like if i just confess to every girl eventually one of them's gonna like me <laughs> there is value in guarding your heart there is value in waiting and not doing things impulsively and let me just say this this is next week we're gonna we're gonna talk about dating so I shouldn't have told you that because you're not going to come next week. Here's a little sneak peek. Ladies, if a guy likes all your photos on Instagram, Facebook, talks to you on the internet, sends you a text message, never talks to you in person, never commits to you, you know what? What they're basically saying is you're worth the impulse, you're not worth the commitment. And you know what? They're not worth your time. If a person only works, and I mean, how much effort does it take to like a photo? Like, oh yeah, you're, you're hot, you're good looking. And they'll write those comments. How hard is that? Versus how hard is it to really commit yourself to someone, to truly serve someone and be selfless to someone else? Don't sell yourself cheap for the guy who, who acts on impulse. Save yourself up for the guy that God has for you. But that's next week. The key is... Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that God makes everything beautiful and it's time. The Bible says there's a time for everything. Everything under the sun. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time for everything that God has. Are you going by God's timetable or are you acting impulsively and immediately? Now I'm not saying that it's always bad to act by impulse. Because there's definitely good times that you should act out of impulse. And you should act immediately. Case in point, 
person's about to be hit by a truck. Do you wait? Do you pray about it? No, you jump in front of the truck and you help the guy. Person's choking. You don't sit down and pray. I'm like, well, Lord, do you want me to save this person or are you going to send someone else? The opportunities in front of you, you go save that person. I was rock climbing uh, a couple of years ago now and one of our friends wasn't paying attention. He broke his ankle because he was being silly and his ankle was kind of hanging on the side. His face was turning white. He's bleeding all over. But we just got there. So I was a little upset. I'm like, man, maybe I can climb something real fast. My other friend's like about to puke and like we're like holding, trying to stop him. like, call the ambulance. I'm like, all right, fine. I will call the ambulance. We call the ambulance. Dropped him off at the hospital, came back and climbed a little bit. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> The important question to ask is, are you going by God's time frame or are you going by the world's time frame? Because Jesus acted only in line with the Father's schedule. I love what Pastor Mark Abrams said the other day. He taught our men's breakfast. And he said, if you ask him, because he works at uh, a, a church in Philadelphia, and all he does is evangelism. That's the only thing his church does. They don't have a budget for anything else. It's just go out and evangelize every single day. And so if you ask him, so what's your schedule like? When can we meet up? He says, I don't have a schedule. God is my schedule. And what he wants me to do, I do it. Now, not everyone can live their life in that kind of way, but I love that kind of heart. You see, if you don't go, go by God's schedule, you'll miss out on so much of God's blessing. You see, what Jesus was saying to these people wasn't, sometimes you can misinterpret this because it looks like, he says, uh, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready as if like you can just act right now. Like your time to act is now. That's not what he's saying. In fact, D.A. Carson, a commentator, says this. It is almost as if they are being excluded from divine sovereignty. Not that God suspended his providential reign in their case, but that what they did was utterly without significance as far as God is concerned. So what Jesus was saying is if you don't go by God's time frame, anytime it doesn't really matter what time you choose because all of it is equally useless. Are you being about the things that last, about the things of God? What do you find consuming your time the most? Is it social media? Are you always occupied with and, and consumed with other people's lives, what other people are doing? Are you consumed about, well, I need to make sure that I post something interesting like an Oreo cake or something, otherwise people think my life is boring. More and more, I think people aren't living adventurous lives. People ask why there aren't C.S. Lewis's of our day, why there aren't people like uh, Tolkien and all those other creative people. It's because they're all in front of the TV screen and computer screen. It's because they're not living out their purposes because they're so consumed with other people's lives. The other day, I went on Facebook, and it was like 1 in the morning. I was like, it's time to go to bed. And I saw one of my good friends post an article that said, 81 astounding facts about kittens. And I was like, oh my gosh, it is time to go to bed. <laughs> At this point, God help us. Are you wasting your time chasing relationships? When I was a freshman, you know, I was playing basketball a lot. I didn't make the basketball team because I was only five foot one. And I got upset about that. And so I started chasing after girls from one girl to another and another etc. They all rejected me. I wasted so much time chasing relationships that had absolutely no redempted, re redemptive value. Are you chasing after the things that last? Or are you just being idle? You know, a lot of you say like, well, I'm so bored. Don't be bored. I wish I had time to be bored. I don't have time to be bored anymore. You know, right now I'm working on putting out a new CD, hopefully coming out this summer. And, you know, 
some of you know, I worked on synth pop music and stuff for a long time. Try and put out that CD, but try and do that and then study and then rock climbing at the same time. Like yesterday, the pastor Brian came up to me. He's just like, so what are you doing to train for nationals next year? And I'm just like, actually not doing anything. He's like, why don't you get a personal trainer? I was like, I don't have time. He's like, listen, you're young. You're 25. You never have this ever again. Go for it. And he was wearing a blazer, which made him very convincing. And now I'm getting a personal trainer. Long story short. Here's the thing. It's not about me. This is about you. If you have idle time, that's an indicator that you can be filling up that time with things that last. You can be learning a new hobby. The Bible says plant a variety of crops. You don't know which ones are going to grow. Maybe they all will. So take the time that you do have to study God's word. Be preparing yourself for the battle that you're not yet in. Be preparing yourself for worship ministry. You say, like, well, I can't sing. Well, go learn how to sing. I didn't start singing until I was 19. You don't know how to play an instrument. I didn't start learning piano until I was 19. Just go out and do it. Whatever you love to do, go do it for God's glory and his sake. Work on God's time frame, not on yours. Don't give God the best of your day. Give God all of your day, all of your schedule. And pray as the psalmist did. Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. I also love what Jesus then says in verse 7. Because after he says, listen, any time is equally useless for you because you're not going by God's time frame. He says, verse 7, another insult. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Hate? Who wants to be hated? It's like, why is that an insult? Like, yeah, you're not hated because the world loves you. And that's awesome. Why would you want to be hated by the world? Well, the world should hate us because everything that Jesus is, is opposed to the world. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, He who is not with me is against me, and he who is, does not gather with me scatters abroad. Do not think I came to bring, a, bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, Matthew 10, 34. Jean-Paul Sartre was an existentialist philosopher during World War II, and if you remember anything about the Axis and Allies powers, you have uh, Allies powers, you have Germany trying to invade all over the place, and they're trying to invade France, and France is like, well, we're not going to do anything about it. We're neutral. And Jean-Paul Sartre wrote this whole thing about freedom and how man is, is determined to be free. You have a choice. Even your choice to not participate is itself a choice. Because sooner or later, they're going to invade you, they're going to take over, and you're going to be part of the evil if you don't actively stop it. It's the same way. Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. You need to choose a side. And your time reveals how you're choosing. The world can't hate you when your schedule is surrendered to impulse. If you're double-minded, you say, I love Jesus today, you don't love Jesus tomorrow. When you say, uh, you know, when I'm not busy, I'll go evangelizing. Or maybe when I'm not tired, I'll read my Bible, I'll pray. Maybe tomorrow I'll serve at church someday, in the future, when I feel like it. The world can't hate you when your appointed time to follow God is someday. The world can't hate you if your appointed time to serve God is on a Sunday only. Or one day in the future. You need to choose that side. Ask yourself, what side am I on? And I would ask you this. What does your schedule look like? 
Is it about the things of God or is it about the things of this world? Everything takes time. You practice piano, that'll take time. If you practice soccer, basketball, that will take time. If you want to pursue God, it will also take time. Religion is not that cheap that it does not require your time. But God is worth every single moment of it. Look at verse 10. The next point is that people reveal your choice. People reveal your choice. Verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Now, if you just stop there, you're like, wait a minute. He says, I'm not going to this feast with you guys, and here I go. <laughs> what was he saying? Why did he do that? Well, actually, what he was just pointing out is going to the feast wasn't evil. He was just saying it had to be on his time frame. And even if you just imagine he goes with his brothers, his brothers are mocking him and said, here comes the Messiah. He went secretly, not openly. That's what he was talking about. Okay, verse 11. Then the Jews saw him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. People reveal your choice. Have you ever found yourself compromising, giving into peer pressure? For me, it's always been like I've always been the guy who's been typically too scared. Like my friends want to do weird NJ stuff and they was like, let's check out this haunted house or go to this like uh, sewer and we'll go in and it's like haunted and it's really cool and whatever. And I'm always afraid of being caught by the police, not by ghosts. You know, I'm not afraid of ghosts. <laughs> the police, very afraid of them. So because of that, I just always chicken out. So people look at me like, man, Alan doesn't give in to peer pressure. No, I'm just afraid. The reason why I don't do drugs is I don't want to die. Not because I'm afraid like, oh, you know, what are people going to think of me and whatever because I'm so holy. That is a small fragment of it. I am a little bit holy. Most of it is I don't want to die. Don't want to get drunk, get in a car accident, and die. I'm just a coward. What's even more cowardly, though, maybe you didn't know this, but as I took acting class in college, I, you know, I was grieved to find this, but... I knew that in college, it was a little bit hard for me to stand up for what I believed in and things like that. But what was even more depressing is when I found a monologue that I, you know, did in college. And I found out as I was cleaning my room and how filthy it was. It was like all sexually perverted and stuff, but it didn't have any curse words in it. So I was able to rationalize, oh, well, as long as it doesn't have any curses, I can do that. And I wasn't accurately representing God. That is cowardice, and that reveals what choice that you're making. You know, that wasn't the best time of my life either, I'll, I'll admit. There wasn't just like one component of my life was evil. If one part is bad, all of it's bad. So your choices when you're around other people reveal whether or not you're choosing to follow Jesus. Your language, how you talk around other people. If you talk one way around some people and then differently around other people, that reveals who you're choosing. If you're choosing God as Savior, choosing God as just a fictional character, someone that's useful for you, and you'll toss him out later. If you choose to do drugs around some of your friends and you choose not to around others, if you choose to follow Jesus as long as people don't make fun of you or look at you like a Jesus freak, that reveals who you believe that Jesus is and if you're going to follow him as Savior. So will you have the boldness to speak up in a world that is completely confused about who God is. As Matthew 5 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You remember Romans 1.16. 
Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. He says, why, why would I be ashamed of that? What's there to be embarrassed about the fact that God can change your life? God can go into the dark places and bring forth light. How is that embarrassing? Why should I be ashamed of that? Why shouldn't I just go and tell every single person that they can be healed? That person's depressed. That person's cutting. That person's doing drugs. That person's drinking and trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment in that. I have the responsibility, Jesus has given me, the responsibility of reconciliation to go up to that person and say, hey, listen, there is good news. Bad news too. The way that you're going is bad. I think you know that. I think you know that sex, money, drugs can't fulfill you. Relationships, those can't fulfill you. But here's the good news. Jesus came so that those things don't have to be your everything. Or will you be like the person in verse 13? However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Listen very carefully. You can't let other people's opinions of you change your opinion of Jesus. Everyone look up here. Secondly, you can't let everyone else's opinions of you change your responsibility to follow Jesus. Think about this. Let's say, you know, the Israelites are marching around Jericho. God says, this is how you break down a city. March around it seven times for seven days. A long time. Like, oh, geez. All right, here we go. We're marching. We're going to bring this place down. Can you imagine if they just stopped on the sixth day? Just like, ah, oh, guys, this is just way too embarrassing. I don't know what they're thinking up there, but just come on. We can't do this anymore. And they just stop. They would have never seen the promise fulfilled. What about Moses? When he went up to Pharaoh and Pharaoh was like, and I'm not going to let your people go. How about this, Moses? Why don't we, you know, double the load, but don't use any straw for your bricks. And then the people of Israel are like, what? How do you make bricks without straw? Well, you got to go out and do double the work. Like, oh, thanks, Moses. Thank you very much that you told Pharaoh when we all told you not to go to Pharaoh because that wouldn't work, and it didn't work, and now we have double the work. Awesome. You are our Messiah. You are our Savior. Why don't we hire you again next year? Moses didn't let that get him down. In fact, he went back and was that voice because he knew the responsibility he had to God. And you all have a choice to make whether or not you want to respond to God. Time reveals your choice. People reveal your choice. Now, maybe you're undecided. Look at verse 14. Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled and said, saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Basically, they look at them and are like, how does he know all this? If he's going and preaching in the temple, how, how can he just do that without any training? Because, you know, all these Jewish leaders, they had rabbis that would teach them stuff. And Jesus, here he comes, this like, you know, basically this hobo is from this little land called Nazareth, had about 20 families. He comes out and says, and I'm going to teach you guys the Bible. It's kind of awkward to them. But you see, the training that he had was from the Father. And he says, look at the scriptures. Anything I'm saying wrong? And they're like, oh, we, we got we to put an end to this guy. This is going way too far. 
we need to put an end to this guy because he told a guy to pick up his mat on the Sabbath. And he says, yeah, you know what else is a law? Do not murder. You're going to kill me because I told a guy to pick up his mat. It's a little messed up. Verse 20. The people answered and said, you have a demon. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah, don't ever tell God that he has a demon, by the way. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision that is not from Moses, but the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses shall not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Here's something that you need to know. Base everything that I'm telling you on the word of God. Don't just take my word, of, word for it and say, well, Alan told me this, or Pastor Lloyd told me that, or whatever, Pastor. Does it, is it in line with God's revealed word to us through the Bible? And if it goes against it, you can just slap me or tell me. So if you're not sure for yourself, look at God's word. All right. Third thing, excuses reveal your choice. Verse 25, excuses. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple saying, you both know me and you know where I am from and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. People can rationalize anything. And this is what happened here in this, this section of verses. They're like, yeah, he looks like he could be the Messiah, but doesn't, doesn't the Messiah is supposed to come like suddenly and just like appear out of nowhere? They're confusing some Bible verses together, and they're just making excuses. But you know, people can rationalize anything. Why were you late to work today, Johnny? Why were you late to school? You ever have those moments and you're like driving to school and you're like, okay, I'm driving behind someone who's driving slow for like five seconds so I can use that as an excuse. Or you're like, you're going into your car and you're like, oh, you know what, basically I don't feel good so that's what I'm going to say. Because you'll rationalize. Maybe a friend tells you, hey, why won't you come out, hang out with us tonight? You're like, oh, I don't have any money. They're like, oh, I'll pay for you. And like, oh, well... It just so happens that uh, I just don't feel good. Oh, really? You just need some medicine? I have some medicine. They're like, well, I just don't want to hang out with you, okay? People rationalize anything. Always come up with excuses. And if people do not want to choose Christ, they can always find an excuse as to why they can't follow him. There's a guy who said to Jesus this. He said, well, I want to follow you, but uh, let me go bury my father first. And Jesus says, yeah, let, let your dad bury himself. Jesus, he, he's dead. He can't bury himself. Yeah, let the dead bury their own dead. Huh, interesting. What was Jesus saying? He says, don't let anything hold you back. Don't come up with your excuses. You follow me. Remember the guy, pull up Bethesda, as you learned about a month ago. Jesus asked him, hey, you want to be made well? You've been sick for 38 years. And he says, well, I don't have anybody to pick me up and put me in the pool. And she's like, really? Come on. Do you want to be made well? I didn't ask you, do you have someone to pick you up and throw you into some pool that may or may not work? I asked you, do you want to be made well? These people here in this text were willing to be blind to what is in front of them. Maybe you find this true in your own life. You're afraid, oh, what will people think of me? You always have an excuse. I can't follow Jesus because I will lose my friends. Or people have smoke screens when you talk to them about Jesus. Hey, 
come to Jesus. Hey, give your life to Jesus. And they'll say, well, what about those unsafe people in Africa? How does the gospel get to them? Like, if you really care about people in Africa, you go to Africa. Or the smokescreen, yeah, well, you know, I would love to follow Jesus, but why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Are you really asking this as a, genu a genuine question? Or are you just asking me this because you just want an excuse? Remember Moses when he was talking to God at the burning bush? And God's like, you go to Pharaoh. And Moses is like, well, I know that's great. I know you're God of the universe. You've planned everything. You've planned creation. And you basically sustained all of it up until now. But let's just say this. I can't talk very well. I think you know that. I think we both know that. So I'm not going to do it. And God's like, who made your tongue? He's like, yeah. But okay, what will I even say? Hey, there's a God that spoke to me out of a burning bush and he said to go save Israel. Yeah, that doesn't work. I don't want to do it. He always had an excuse. Pay attention very carefully to this next point. If, if you make excuses, you make a choice to excuse yourself from being a voice. If all you do is make excuses, you're making a choice to excuse yourself from being a voice. You really want it that bad, Moses? I'm going to use Aaron instead. He'll be my voice. Are you in that same place? God, you can't use me because I have this or I have that. I have this ailments. I'm not talented. I'm not gifted. I'm depressed. I have this, this mental illness or, you know, my grades are bad or people say this or no one believe me. No one trust me. It's like you want to keep making excuses or do you want to see God work in your life? If you want to see God work in your life, you want to be a voice of the Lord to this generation, stop making excuses. Instead, choose the Lord. Excuses reveal your choice. If all you do is make excuses, it shows that you just really don't want to follow the Lord. Stop making excuses. Believe in faith. Look at verse 30. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And here's a little sub point for you. Realize that you will not leave this earth until the day that God has appointed for you. Until God says you can leave this earth, you will not die one day sooner. There's your confidence. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of the Lord. So while you are here on this earth, while you have breath, let it be to praise the Lord. Let it be in, in use for what God has created you to be. And if you're still alive, you're still breathing, God still wants to use you. All right. Verse 31. And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these than the man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. The Pharisees, the chief priests, and officers take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while, little while longer. And then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. That verse has got to be such a hard verse to hear if you're one of those Pharisees. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said amongst themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? ultimate game of hide-and-go-seek. Like, huh, you think I won't be able to find you? I will find you. Does he intend to go to the dispersion amongst the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? And this is Jesus speaking about his ascension into heaven. You see, time demands your choice. Not just time reveals your choice, but time demands your choice. Time is limited. Time is short. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, 
that we then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you are the person who says, one day on my deathbed I will accept Jesus to my heart, I will do the right thing, you are not guaranteed tomorrow. Now is the accepted time. If you want to follow God, you want to take a chance, you want to take a risk, you want to believe this, you choose today. Because today is the day of salvation. There will be a day in which you will seek to find God and not be able to find him because it's too late. There will be a day of judgment. There will be a day that you die. There will be a day that God looks at you and if you don't trust in him, he'll say, be gone, I never knew you. I don't even know who you are. You need to invest in that relationship right now, today. Don't wait any longer. Verse 37. And on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures had said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, God doesn't just want you to be filled. He wants you to fill others. He wants you as a vessel to reach other people. And I think it's so exciting to see someone actually choose Jesus, to be that vessel. And I've talked about this before. But one of our students this past week led someone to the Lord. We had, uh, you know, back when I was in high school, we, we did an England mission trip. And we talked to this one beatboxer that was really cool. And back then, beatboxing was like... Like no one knew what beatboxing was back then. And so we go, I evangelize him, he accepts Jesus, winds up like we become good friends. He stays at my house here in America for two weeks. And like, we just like, it was like amazing. Like this person I just meet off the street, comes and stay with, stays with me for like two weeks because you connected. And you see that God had a hand in that. God works in us. And if you haven't had that opportunity, it's because you've been making excuses this far. And this is the day that you have to make the choice to follow the Lord and say, Lord, I want to see my life become a, a river flowing out that water, that abundance. And so Jesus saying this was an illustration because the Feast of Tabernacles was talking about you strike the rock and God provided water in the wilderness. And here's a word I'll give for you today. I believe it's from the Lord. In the dry seasons that we're living in right now, your friends are going through a lot. The world is going through a lot. God can still provide water, living water in this desert, in this wilderness. The question is, will you allow your heart to be that vessel through which that water can flow? Will you say, Lord, here I am. I thirst. I need it. Like Psalm 63 says, I, I cry, I thirst. My whole body is dried up. I seek you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Are you seeking? Are you praying? Are you asking the Lord to fill you once again? Charles Spurgeon said this about thirst. He says, thirst is an insatiable longing for one of the most essential supports of life. There is no reasoning with it, no forgetting it, no despising it, no overcoming it by indifference. Thirst will be heard. Like if you're thirsty, it's not like, yeah, I'm really thirsty and... Oh. Well, it's just too bad. I'm just going to go to bed and not go get a cup of water. Oh, I'm really thirsty, but oh, I just, I guess I'll always be thirsty. 
No, thirst will be heard. The whole man must yield to its power. When I'm doing climbing competitions and I'm dehydrated, I can tell because my whole like foot starts spazzing. Like you ever get a cramp in your leg? It's because you're not drinking enough water. Like your whole body's like convulsing, like water. That's how you should be. Like Holy Spirit. As Christians, come on. Can I get an amen? amen? He says, it is the same way with the divine desire that the grace of God creates in Christians. Only God himself can satisfy the craving of a soul really aroused by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true? If you are thirsty for the Lord, nothing else will satisfy you. Your whole body will be spazzing out until you find him. Until you're satisfied. Until you find Jesus. Verse 39 says, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet, yet glorified. Now, it's important to understand God's timing is not our timing. That's why it's important to wait on him. Jesus says, I want you to go into a room and wait till the Holy Spirit comes to you. Now, Jesus was talking about this in the future to them because the Holy Spirit didn't come in full power yet. But when we go to the book of Acts, Jesus says, wait in that upper room. Do not do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. Now, if you are that person who has not experienced the full, the, the full power of the Holy Spirit, you're missing that empowering. The wrong thing to do is to do. The wrong action to take is to take action. Don't do that. Don't do anything. Wait on the Lord to fill you with his spirit, his power, and send you out with that power. Something really interesting to know is, did you know on the day of Pentecost? Let me ask you this. How many people got saved on the day of Pentecost? Anyone know? No. 3,000 people. Now, when the law was given, when Moses came down from, uh, you know, Mount Sinai, took the Ten Commandments, and the people were worshiping the golden calf, how many people died? I already said it. 3,000 people died. When the law was given, 3,000 people died. When the Holy Spirit was given, 3,000 people got saved. In conclusion, let's look at verse 40. Therefore, many people from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scriptures said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers said, No man ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered him and said, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. You see, there was a division made because of Jesus. The name of Jesus will always bring a division. You have to ask yourself, what side am I on? Am I choosing Christ? I'm not asking, what are you ideally choosing? I'm asking, what are you choosing right now? And there are three things that reveal that. It's how your time is spent. It's the opinions of other people. And it's the excuses that you make that reveal who you're choosing. Are you choosing Jesus? Are you choosing the world? We're running out of time. It's time to make that choice. Because if you're not for him, you're against him. That's why it's important, as we learned last week, to burn the bridges that lead to hell. To not be looking at those old friends, those old ways, 
returning to those old things, just cut it off completely. So that when Jesus asks you, are you going to go away? You say, where else am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Do you have that mentality? You've, you've given up everything else, all hope and everything else. Because you said, you know what? Jesus is worth every bit of my time, effort, and ability. And I know that he is faithful with all of those things. So how are you spending your time? How are you acting around other people? Everyone must make that choice.